Hello there, welcome to episode 29 of the No Feeding Tubes show and I'm going to talk about something that I have covered in the past but I want to talk about it again because it really does drive the whole purpose of me being here and trying to help you get through this murky life after head and neck cancer treatment and the side effects thereof. So today I want to talk about social eating again and the three things that I'm going to cover today are relationships, how social eating uh, or the fact that you're not is affecting relationships, your social life generally and a resource that I've created called the Social Eating Checklist. So relationships are and by relationships, I mean romantic relationships. I mean friendships, um, your friends circle. I mean family, your spouse, uh, your work colleagues. And funnily enough, the one that we all forget is the relationship that you have with yourself around food. And particularly how that's now probably changed as a result of head and neck cancer treatment. So that's the first thing I'm going to talk about today. I'm also going to talk about the social life and, um, you know, what effect this has on you, what to do about it, how to evaluate it, and perhaps where you are on your pathway. And that kind of will lead me to the last thing that I'm going to discuss uh, briefly is my social eating checklist, which I will provide a link for you below to access that and check off the things that I know to be true because I've lived it. Eating socially, the impact it has on you and others, and I think this is something that really isn't talked about enough. I know we all know that it happens, but the impact that your ability to eat or not eat and what, how that affects the people closest to you. Now, I'm in a bit of a different situation because I'm not married and I, I live on my own, so I don't have uh, necessarily a daily um, contact with somebody, but where I notice the implications of my eating are in my work life, in my professional life, and in my social friend life, and I've noticed what's happened to me as a result of not being able to do what I used to do, although I must say, preface this by saying I am getting better every day, little by little, or rather my confidence is growing every single day, little by little. So I think, you know, you need to have a look at your relationships and work out which of those relationships are most important to you, particularly in the early stages of this treatment healing. And I know, and it's a few couple of years ago for me now, but, you know, I missed out on my biggest brother's, my eldest brother's wedding. Uh, I missed, I nearly missed out on the niece's wedding, but I did go. Um, I missed out on significant birthdays. I missed out on other people's friends, significant birthdays, I just simply could not go. Uh, at that point, there was no ability for me to be able to understand, let alone self-manage what I was going through. And literally because I didn't understand, I just didn't know how to manage those 
public situations, if you like, social eating situations. But now that I'm a couple of years down the track, I certainly know how to manage them now or at least put into place, I guess it's sort of criteria or management structure so that I know how to uh, manage with things that might pop up that I perhaps didn't expect. Um, one of the things that I'm really fascinated with is romantic relationships. What do you do um, in a romantic sense? How do you kiss? How do you um, share food? How do you uh, manage that process? And I'm still yet to discover some of that because I've just been so busy doing me <laughs> that I haven't got to that point. But I'd be really interested to hear from you if you've had some significant breakthroughs on that level and it's an area that we don't talk about. It's very rarely discussed. And depending on what you've had uh done in terms of treatment, whether it's loss of teeth, jawbone, reconstruction, tongue, lips, cheeks, whatever, um, it's going to really impact not only your food, but how you eat that food and how you use food in a romantic se session, you know, not just a um, everyday live day-by-day -day life session. So I think that's an area that I'll need to discuss a bit further down the track, but I'd be really interested to hear from you um, about what's happened in your experience, if in fact you've had an experience in that area. Um, talking about relationships, um, if you have a carer, now your carer can be your significant other, your spouse, or you can potentially have someone who just comes in and cares for you, that is, prepares meals, looks after you, helps you with peg tube feeding, um, you, that sort of person, if you like. And I guess I talk about that person in the sense that, you know, and gee, lucky you if you've got someone that can come in and help you with preparing meals, making meals for you, um, I guess I'm just going to highlight that carer relationship in a social eating context in that I'm always careful to say to people, make sure that the carer doesn't take away your connection to food. And I suspect what can happen a lot in, in an overzealous carer, if you like, or in someone who's really wanting to help you is that they actually remove you from that whole process of connecting with food, that is the shopping, the cooking, the preparing, the washing of vegetables or fruit, the peeling, the chopping, the cutting, the putting away, the cleaning out the fridge, the cleaning out the pantry, restocking, writing shopping lists. If you have someone that's doing that for you and you are not involved with it because you are just simply not eating fresh food, I think if I'd had my time again, I would have um, reassessed that and gone, well, actually, I think you need to keep that person connected to the food preparation, the person being the person going through head and neck cancer treatment. So I just preface that in a social eating sense. 
make sure that the carer is caring enough to recognise that you stay connected with food. And I know that kind of seems cruel, even particularly if you're not eating food, but the whole premise here is to get you back to eating real food again. So even if you're just uh, consuming commercial formula and you're just feeding through a pig, I think it's really important to stay connected to food. Uh, and again, you know, that depends very much on where you are on your pathway, but uh, from a nausea point of view, lack of interest, um, small appetite, that sort of thing, that all changes, it all waxes and wanes as the days go past. So making sure that your carer is aware of what you're up to and making sure that the carer is working with you in ensuring that you're, you stay connected to food. In these relationships, what do you tell your family and friends? How do you start to communicate what is going on with you uh, to your – let's just start with your family because they probably are the closest to you. How do you convey what you are feeling to those that are immediately around you? It can be really challenging for them. They don't understand that soft food isn't necessarily available to you to swallow and or chew. To them, way of thinking, it's like, well, it's soft, you know. How, why is it that you can't eat that? You know, you, you're saying to me that you want soft food, yet you can't eat scrambled eggs. You're saying to me that you want uh, food that doesn't have any edges or doesn't have any spot. Why can't you eat, you know, rice? Uh, you're saying to me, there's all these questions in their heads. It becomes incredibly confrontational for them. It becomes very confusing for them, I'm sure. Uh, I'm just guessing this and I'm basing this on my own observations. How do you quell their fears? How do you communicate what you need? I think you do that by fully appreciating and understanding what it is that you do need and spending some time thinking about where you are on your pathway. What do you actually need? How do you explain as succinctly and as gently um, and as emotionally kind as you possibly can to someone who's trying to help you or be involved in your life socially? How do you communicate your needs to them without um, uh, confusing them even more. And, and I think it's really about just being open. I think it's about trying to take now that, you know, in hindsight for me, trying to take the emotion out of it a bit and be a little bit more mechanical, if you like, around the process. And I, and I know and I understand that it's very different for absolutely every one of us. And the fact that the general populace do not understand this is including people who work in and around food for people who've had head and neck cancer, whether they're dietitians or nutritionists or um, head of catering. Uh, unless you've been through this, it's really, really difficult for people to grasp and understand why it's difficult for you. So learning to communicate what you need to your closest, either your carers, your family, your friends, or all of those people about how you need your food and also how you intend on 
tackling this process of either peg transitioning or going back to real food or trying real food, food wastage, um, things not being successful, it's an emotional and very stressful time. So I think having some tools to enable you to communicate people uh, is, is a really good way to um, communicate to other people what's going on with you. Uh, social life. How does it affect your social life and what to do about it, how to evaluate it? And, you know, in my early um, healing time, it was all I could do to work out what food I was going to eat. Social life didn't actually come into it. It, it never actually occurred to me to have a social life in the early days because I was so focused on getting my food and working out what food I could eat, how I could stop wasting food, how I could prepare food, how I could transition off my peg, how I was going to get all those nutrients that I needed into my diet, that became all-consuming for me. And I suspect that it might become all-consuming for you too. Um, so, you know, I guess that kind of leads me to why I created the social eating checklist. And as I said earlier, I will leave the link below for you to be able to access that and download it and have a look at it because it really does basically tick box all the things that I knew I had to have in place for me to get back to eating socially again. And that is as a result of a lived experience and what I had to do to get to where I am now. And, you know, I'm in a pretty good place at the moment in terms of social eating. I know, I understand, I have confidence and I can talk to people about my journey now and I talk to people quite openly and freely about um, why things are difficult for me. Classic example is just a few days ago, I was in another city standing around drinking a very nice glass of sparkling um, champagne as it was because it was French champagne, it wasn't Australian sparkling. And I was picking at a platter and there was this massive platter of food and I was looking through it going, what can I eat, what can't I? And there was so a beautiful platter, a uh, platter by Eve I think it was called, um there was so much beautiful food. There was chocolate, there were dates, there were dips, there were biscuits, there was fruit, there was um, cheese, there was all number of things on that platter. And I thought, I've got the confidence now to stand here with a glass of champagne in one hand and actually go through that platter. And as I'm saying this, um. I'm realising that's quite an emotional milestone for me. Hadn't recognised it and there I am. I always say to you and I bang on about this, always celebrate those milestones. Um, so that was a milestone I'd completely forgotten to celebrate. So there you go, mental note to self. Um, that's why I have the social eating checklist because I wholeheartedly believe that you need to have all these things in place that I have learnt before you can eat socially successfully again. I'm going to leave that as today's episode. Um, that's episode 29, Eating Socially. The impact on others, 
the impact it has on you and really it's just some of the things that I know that we don't talk about that we should talk about in terms of making that process and that journey to social eating easier, better uh, and more accessible to both you, your loved ones, your carers, your family, your friends and the populace in general, and I think the public need to understand the side effects of head and neck cancer treatment too. So thank you for joining me today. Thank you for being here today and for listening. Uh, this is Yvonne McLaren, the No Feeding Tube Show. Uh, please, by all means, download that link below, which is my social eating checklist, and I look forward to you joining me on the next episode. Until then, please continue to eat well. Okay. See ya. Ciao, everybody. Bye-bye.